You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Uh, so if you're new to River this morning, we're really glad you're here and grateful that you came. And uh, our prayer is that just that God would bless you and that your time here this morning would, uh, he would speak to your heart through the singing or through the speaking of his words. And we're kind of a come as you are, see what you, what you see is what you get kind of church, right? We're not trying to put on uh, any pretenses about what we're not, but uh, we're just average ordinary people trying to make our way in this world and to follow God and, and to know him through his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, we're all about helping one another take those next steps in our faith journey and uh, to know him and, and follow him. So as we can uh, continue our series this morning, First Thessalonians, I wanna sh uh, share with us this morning uh, just four ways Four key keys, if you will, key principles about how to endure hard times. How to endure hard times. Uh, the year that my wife and I, my family and I moved here, we moved from Potsdam. In fact, I see some friends here from Potsdam. It's good to see you guys. And uh, it was about 15 years ago. And uh, I had taken a, a ministry position down in this area and I'd left my family uh, up north about four hours from here. And I would travel every Sunday morning. I'd get up early enough to attend one of the churches that I was serving with down here in the capital region. And, uh, and I would stay here all week long and I'd go home Thursday, most often Fridays. And after about three or four months of that, that got really old. I began to truly feel like the biggest jerk in the world because my wife was at home all week long by herself with seven kids. Now that's seven kids ages 11 and under. One of those was six months old and I couldn't find a house to live in what at all. I mean, it was literally got to the point where it was gonna take a miracle. So finally we found the home, found the day that we were gonna, going to move, and it was literally that house or nothing. My wife saw it for the first time an hour before we closed. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like, honey, it's this or homeless, you know? <laughs> kind of like there's just, you know, door number one or door number two. We had already kind of exhausted winter's coming, and I really wanted to get my family together in one spot. And, and we drove down, and she saw it, and actually I'm glad she saw it, but I was regretting it because... We barely were trying to get out of there with seven kids. We didn't know a lot of people here. I had to get them to a babysitter. You know, how do you feed a baby and juggle all of that? So we went from there to then drive to the closing. And I remember I, I was pulling a trailer and because I was in a rush, I accidentally jackknifed it and dented the side of my van and, you know, but still had to just keep on going. And we get home closed and everything, get the keys and, you know, well, all, I mean, when you go through an ordeal like that and you've got 11, you've got seven kids, 11 and under, I mean, it's just exhausting. So we camped out that night, rolled out the sleeping bags and I laid, I don't remember, we didn't have really beds to sleep in. And I remember uh, middle of the night somewhere, I don't know, midnight or two o'clock in the morning, one of the kids woke up and was throwing up. Well, great, it's just, you know, this is awesome. I love being me right now. And the movers came the next day and they couldn't pull the truck up to the house. And many of you have been where I live, our driveway is about 200 feet long. And because you have a family that big, we were the entire 18 wheeler. And so they had to walk all of that stuff down the driveway. And I tried to help as best I could with my little kids. and. You know, meanwhile, kids are getting sick and throwing up in a you know, new home. And, and then the next one, the stomach flu then cycled through with our family for the next two to three weeks. And, you know, and as a dad, I mean, it just, how do you, 
when you have that many people, like life needs to work immediately. Washing machines and dryers that day need to work. You're like everything's got to work. And it was just, it was overwhelming. And it got so bad with the stomach flu, it just kept cycling. And it was almost like rebounding. And I don't know if we got two strains of it, but it came back through again, like two weeks later. And to the degree I thought the water here must be bad. So I literally, I took a sample of water and took it to get tested. I'm like, what is going on? And then a week after I had the water tested, we had no water. The, the well went out and so, and you know, and Thanksgiving and all of that. So I look back at that, that was a tough summer and fall. And you know, to be honest with you, life can just really pile up on us. I want us this morning to think about how do you endure? How do you endure when the times get tough? And, you know, as difficult as those were, all of that passes by. The kids rebounded. We got the well fixed. We got moved in. And, you know, life goes on. Sometimes, sometimes the difficulty gets a lot harder than that, right? Sometimes the pain goes a lot deeper. Sometimes the challenges, sometimes the questions that run in our heads. Sometimes we lay our head in the pillow and we say, how in the world am I going to live to, 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 to survive and to fight the next day, right? So there's going to be four keys this morning when we read this passage in 1 Thessalonians about how do you continue on and endure and keep your head screwed on straight and have hope in the middle of the suffering and what, whatever that might be that's coming your way. So take your Bible, if you would, or you can look on the screen if you don't have it open in front of you, and read with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 and following. The Bible says this, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eager, eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. Keep in mind, Paul was run out of town. There was a mob that had, had formed when they were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And the people in the community were not interested. And, and Paul was literally ripped away from his newfound friends and family that he had, had invested so much in. As he said, we wanted to see you. And he, he says in verse 18, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of blessing before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Athens is another town in which they went and started a church. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could no long, bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you and through your faith. For now we live, if you, here's a key phrase, if you are standing 
fast in the Lord. We live if you are standing firm, he says, in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Pray with me, would you? Father, I thank you for the testimony of Paul's words, your holy word, your Bible, as he had a heart for these people. And Lord, we know that we must endure really difficult things in life. Most things, honestly, that are for us that are difficult are way worse than the picture that I painted a minute ago. But God, you're faithful, just as we sung this morning, that you are faithful and you are forever. Father, I pray that you would help us individually, as families, and as a church family, as a faith family, to stand firm in you. Help us, Lord, open our eyes to your word this morning and speak into our souls, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says, guys, I were ripped from you and I, I so eagerly, regularly wanted to come back and see you and I'm concerned for you of a heart because I shared the gospel with you and you received it, but I, I hear in Paul's words saying, I don't know, I wasn't able to share all that I wanted to and I hope you guys are okay and I want to be with you, but I can't. And Satan hindered us regularly and I want to, to make sure that he hasn't tempted you and pulled you away. And so finally, we just were willing, said, you know what, Timothy, you need to go. We'll be okay here. Go check on those folks and see how they're doing. And Paul says, I'm excited to hear that you are standing firm in your faith. See, the, the, when the challenges of life hit, I don't care if you're going through something like that or if you're going through something that's much more painful, much more difficult to work through uh, in, in a family or in a relationship that you have, our, our faith begins to wobble. We begin to ask significant questions of faith. God, do you love me? Are you God? Are you out there? God, you even care when our Hearts are broken and, and there's conflict and disruptions in our family. And, and we're like, God, I'm praying every day, but I'm just not seeing anything here. Like, God, what, what is going on? Aren't, aren't you bigger than this? I've, I've heard it preached and I, I believe it, but God, you sure don't seem to be caring about me. The first, for us to stand firm in our faith and to frankly endure in life to, to the degree that we not just survive, but we thrive, the first thing I want us to realize this morning is that we should expect these kinds of difficulties. We should expect hardship. Paul says in chapter 3, look, he says in, in, in verse 3, he says, um, he says that for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. And he goes on in verse 4 and said, when we were with you, we kept telling you that this was a reality. Sometimes when we share the good news of Jesus Christ, we make it almost like a uh, a, a kid's story, a happily ever after. Like, if you just trust Jesus, everything in your life is going to be nice and easy and easy peasy, hunky dory, you know, kind of like the, the old school snake oil salesman, you know, uh, just take this and it'll solve, solve everything in your life, which is, I, I wonder if that truly is the new CBD. If you're a big CBD person, more power to you, but I've heard it can fix everything from rheumatism to cancer to just, you know, I'm like, okay, seriously? <laughs> You know, sometimes when we share the gospel, if we're not careful, we act like almost every little problem in our life is just going to dissolve and melt away. And Paul did the opposite. He's sharing with people. He said, look, 
When you give your life to Jesus Christ and you surrender to him, you are recognizing your sin and you are admitting that to a holy God in heaven and you're asking him to forgive you, but you are not asking for an easy life. You are not asking for just that there's not going to be any problems that you have to go through. In fact, it's the opposite. You are inviting those things. You are going to have many afflictions and difficulties and challenges in life. He says, expect it. Sometimes as Christians, we're a little naive. Sometimes we think, oh, I just hit a rough patch. And like, God, shouldn't you be working this out? And we are very naive in that. And God wants to love us, but he wants to love us through the problem, not removing all of the problems. In fact, God does the very opposite. Because he loves us, he's trying to strengthen our faith. He's trying to teach us to trust him even more and even deeper to help us to understand and to experience his power and his grace and his love even more, he ensures that we're going to walk through some difficulties of life. He, he ensures that we're going to do that. So we should expect it. We shouldn't be afraid of it. We shouldn't be nervous about it. We shouldn't think that something's wrong because we're walking through those difficult things of life. I have many pastor friends that I know of and the things that they've walked through, whether it's just, you know, physical disability themselves or their spouse or just really deep uh, challenges in their family. It just it's heartbreaking. It's gut wrenching and it's a normal part of all of our Christian lives. So key number one is is expect it. We, we don't want it, right? It, by the way, you don't, some Christians are like, oh, cool, I get persecution, and oh, this is awesome and great, and I'm like, you're just messed up. Like, just, just like, I don't want to be around you right now, you know, just, so, you know, we are to count it all joy, yes, I get that, um, and I understand that, that God uses all of those in a real way, but, um, but we shouldn't think that there's something wrong with our spiritual life or that God doesn't love us. We should recognize it is a broken and messed up world. Some things God allows in his life and his sovereignty that to just happen. Some things he does directly, but many, if not most of the things that goes on, God's not responsible for those things. And we could talk a whole lot about that, but God being in control and in charge doesn't mean he's responsible. I, Susan and I are in charge in, in, uh, for our home, right? But I love the fact that I'm not responsible for all the craziness that might happen inside those walls. It ain't all my fault, right? Even though we're in charge, so God's in charge and God's in control, but he's not responsible for all the craziness on this earth. And we can talk more about that later. But the first thing you need to know is, is to expect that you're going to have tremendous afflictions and pains in life, seasons and and issues and things that surface that you didn't want, you didn't expect, that life is going to come at you and it's not going to turn out the way you want, and you're going to be okay if you do these four things and keep your, your focus on Jesus. Second thing I want you to recognize, not only do you need to expect these things, but you also kind of need to know your enemy. I didn't coin that. It's been around apparently a long time and uh, for thousands of years, but you really do need to know your enemy. Paul says, he said, look, we wanted to come with you. We were torn from you out of this affliction, out of this persecution. We wanted to come again and again and again. And he tells us, he peels the curtain back invisibly. He says, but look, Satan hindered us in verse 18. He says, there's this, this fallen angel named Satan that really was 
resisting and kept us from coming to you and ministering to you and making sure and helping and supporting you. And then he goes on, he said, and I really, when we couldn't stand it anymore, I want to make sure that I sent Timothy with you. And in verse 5 of chapter 3, he says, because we were concerned that the tempter, that's talking about that same individual against Satan, that, that arch enemy of God, he said, I was concerned that he had tempted you and that our labor would be in vain. Two things that the enemy does in our life. He never plays fair. In the middle of those afflictions, he may or may not be directly causing those afflictions. I, you know, some, some Christians act like any little bad thing that happens to them, oh, I got a hangnail, Satan must be attacking me. I'm being a little facetious there, but you know, like every little thing, like, no, this world is just messed up. It really is. But in the middle of that, Paul knew that in the middle of the intense persecution that early church had and the pressure to give up and give in and to think that God didn't care about them anymore and that they shouldn't be following Jesus and what were they thinking and all of that, he knew that the enemy would come and would tempt them. Key strategy to tempt them to say, God doesn't love you anymore. God's not working we're a pragmatic people, right? I want something that works. If I buy a car, I want it to look nice, but I just really want it to work. That's what I want at the end of the day. I want it, it, when I work and do my job, I want it to work. I want things to work. I don't want them to break and fall apart. And we want life to work. And the temp, this tempter comes and he says, life's not working for you. See, that Christian thing's not working out for you. See, yeah, God really doesn't love you. And he spins those things in your ear and your head and he, and he tells you, and he tempts you, trying to pull you away. And what he's trying to do is to get you to sin against the holy God in heaven, to doubt God, and to doubt God's love, and, and to no longer trust Him, and to even think evil, and to think wrongly and cynically uh, towards God and life. And he tempts, and he leverages that persecution in your heart and in your mind. Honestly, here in the U.S., I don't believe the enemy uses persecution a lot. We really don't know, by and large, what real persecution is like here. There are pockets of it, and there are some individuals, when they trust Christ, go through some significant things in their families. But most of us really don't know what persecution's like. You know what the enemy, I think, really tempts us with in the U.S. much more than that? Affluence. He, he tempts us with money a whole lot more. Listen to what, what Proverbs says. Proverbs 30 says this. He says, two things I ask of you. He's, he's writing to God saying, God, I ask you just two things. Two things. Deny them not to me before I die. I'm not going to tell you the first one. You can look it up later, but here's the second one. He says this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. God, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be wealthy. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. In America, we define that as poverty. If you have just the baseline food that you need, we would say you're poor in the U.S. And he's saying, look, I don't want to be really poor. I don't want to be starving is really what he's saying. And I don't want to be really, I don't want to be wealthy. And we've moved the needle in understanding of what wealth is. And wealth is much lower than what we think it is. And he goes on to say this. He says, Feed me with the food that's needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You see, the enemy in our culture 
We are tempted with that, those desires. And he says, he says, God, I see in my heart that if I'm going to be wealthy and I'm going to be satisfied, and for us and our world, not just food, but God, if I have the, the cars that I, you know, and, I, and the, the, the boat or the this and the that and the toys and the stuff and the houses, he says, God, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that as I pursue those things, that I'm going to be full and I'm going to forget you. I'm going to put you on the shelf and I'm going to really not feel that I need anybody or anything else. Jesus said it's hard for a wealthy man to go through the eye of the needle. In the U.S., we live in the very top, top percentages of wealth in the world. We may not face persecution, but the tempter absolutely wants you and me to get our focus on wealth, to make our whole life about our career, to, to push into our kids, to go to college, get that best job you can get, and climb that ladder and secure all of that success. And what we're doing is we're pushing a generation after generation into oblivion of forgetting God. And by definition, that is foolishness, the Bible tells us. So if you and I are to endure hard times, we need to realize there's an enemy who tempts us and that our hearts turn away from that and that he also isolates us. This is the second thing that the enemy does is not only does he tempt us with those things, but he isolates us. You see, I don't know what Satan was doing and how he was doing it. Paul knew. I'm not convinced you and I really very often know exactly what's going on there. But Paul said he hindered us. He, he blocked us. He prevented us from coming to you. One of the key strategies of the enemy is isolation. If you've never thought about this before, you need to pay attention to this this morning. We all know that the enemy will tempt us to do things that are wrong. We feel that. You don't even have to believe in God to know that there's something in you that gets tempted to do something that you really know you shouldn't do, but you can't stop. And when we feel those things and we do them anyway, that's called sin. And it brings death and destruction into our life and into the relationship in the world around us. But the enemy also isolates us. You see, he was keeping Paul separated from those other individuals away from that early church. And he wanted, he didn't want the fellowship and the love and the friendship and the support and the care and the encouragement and the growth to happen. He wanted those to be in isolation. You know what the enemy often will do in our lives and our hearts? Sometimes people say, well, I really don't need to go to church. And I, you know, I'm okay. I believe in God. And, you know, I'm just going to do my one thing with God. Oh, that's a lie of the enemy. The Christian life is not primarily a set of beliefs that you believe or a set of values that you hold or a set of actions that you do. It is primarily a relationship with the God in heaven whom you know through His Son, Jesus. And by nature is a connectional thing. And as we know Him, He puts us in a faith family and relationship with other believers because we need one another. And we need that encouragement and that strength and that, that warmth, that spiritual help and, and growth together. So sometimes we remove ourselves physically. Well, I don't need to go to church. It's okay if I don't go. It's no big deal. The world won't fall apart. And you know what? The world doesn't fall apart. But then you, again, well, I don't need to go to a group. I don't need to do these things. And but slowly over time, we begin isolating ourselves and we begin to make ourselves vulnerable. And we don't realize it, but we're playing into the enemy's hands and it begins affecting us deeply in ways we don't know. But there's another way he isolates us. 
Not only does we, do we isolate ourselves and does He try to do that physically, but He will do that spiritually. You see, when you and I begin to sin, if we're not careful, we, we, we sow because we don't want to look foolish and we don't want to be, you know, nobody wants their stuff outed in front of the whole world. And what happens is we try to handle it and we will live separately because of the shame or the embarrassment or the guilt. And over time, even if we're still going to those, those activities and around other Christians, what people are getting is a veneer, a, just an external picture. And inside we're bound up, whether it's in bitterness or addictions or lusts or whatever, the things in our heart and our soul. And we think, well, I'm the only one that can really get this and I'm alone and nobody really can help. And if anybody sees it or hears it, they're going to judge me and think less of me and all of those things. And we don't realize what the enemy is doing is he's isolating us, preventing us from getting the help and the encouragement, the, the support, the strength that we need. And he isolates us. So if you and I are to endure in those difficult times, make sure that you're not pursuing something other than the Lord Jesus, because he will be tempting you in those. He never plays fair. He always goes for below the belt. And make sure that he, you are not allowing him to isolate you in your heart. Find that one or two people that you can trust and say, look, I need help. I, I, this is not good. I need help. Third thing, if you're going to endure those difficult times, is not only do you, you and I need to expect those challenges, not only do we need to know how the enemy is working when we're going through those times to be alert to those kinds of situations, but the third thing is, is we need to keep our focus, our focus on Jesus. Look what Paul says in, in verse 19. He says, what is our hope? What gives us hope? What's our joy? What's our, our crown of, of boasting, not for ourselves, but before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? You're our glory and our crown. As Paul is sitting there, Paul is agonizing. Get the picture of a parent. We hear this in this, this letter, you know, I'm like a father and a son, I've cared for you. Like a mother, I'm just, I'm giving you my everything we've read over the last couple of weeks. And, and he's agonizing in the middle of this pain and the suffering over them, but he's keeping his eye on Jesus in the middle of the hardship. When the hard times come, you and I are always tempted to get our eyes off of our God and to put him on the world around us. And we're very tempted. In fact, if we're really being really honest with ourselves, we will begin to throw a pity party for ourselves. Oh, it shouldn't be this way. And we will spend hours and lots of emotional energy brooding over that stuff. And, you know, this happened, and then this happened, and then that happened. And yeah, and this wasn't right, and this wasn't fair, and I got mistreated, and this and that. And, and all of that stuff begins to go on. And in the middle of all of it, we've just totally thrown God out the window and acted as if we were a complete atheist, that God can't help us, not interested, and we're not looking for hope in Him because we didn't put our focus and our eyes upon our Lord Jesus. See, Paul is putting this in perspective. See, Paul's not ignoring the difficulty. He's not ignoring the hardship. He's not being uh, just, you know, oh, everything's great and wonderful. It's wonderful, you know. He's, 
He says, I see it. But I'm aiming at something much bigger. Paul, what he's really aiming for, he's like, guys, I'm living for an eternity. I'm living for something much bigger than myself. You see, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, this isn't, it's not just that you are receiving salvation. Oh, you are. And it's not just that you're recognizing that you're messed up and have, have royally made major mistakes in your life that the Bible calls sin. And it's not just that you're asking God to forgive you and save you. You are. But you are surrendering your life to Him, submitting to Him, and you now are living for something much bigger than you could ever live for before. You are living for God and His glory, and you're living for something for an eternity. And Paul, as he is walking through these afflictions, I mean, he experienced these things himself. He was beaten, and he'd get up and almost shake that off and go to the next town and get stoned and shipwrecked. And time after time, I can almost picture him getting up and staggered. I mean, at one point, he was left for dead. He was, his vital signs were so low that they thought he was dead. His breathing was so shallow, and there was so much blood, and there was so much anguish in his body, and his color had so left him the people thought he was dead, and yet he would get up and he would share the gospel again and do it again. Why? Because he was living for something bigger than himself. You see, if you and I are going to endure in hard times, and by that it doesn't mean just surviving. It means if we're really going to keep our focus and to, to keep moving in the right direction and not get pulled away and not lose hope and begin to despair and all of the stuff around us, and to agonize and worry and fret and stress and just make everything about that situation, we've got to realize that we're living a life a part of something much bigger than ourselves. And everything in our life, we've got to be evaluating and aiming for that eternity. You know, when Jesus comes back, and this is where Paul was, he, he was... God's not going to be impressed if you won the home, the game, you know, when you were in high school. God's not really overly worried or excited if you were homecoming king or queen or not. God's not terribly worried whether or not you got that award at work or didn't get that award, or you got that raise or didn't get that raise, or you got that house or you didn't get that house. What God is looking for is for you and for me to invest our lives in a way that impacts eternity. And Paul said, look, what I'm aiming for when Jesus comes back is you guys. You guys. I, I, I'm investing. I'm keeping my focus on Jesus because He's coming in the middle of all of my the stuff. I'm living with my eye to that. I'm not letting all of this be my focus yeah, I've gone through all kinds of stuff, but I'm living for that. And as I'm living for that, I'm looking for you and bringing you with me. I'm investing in, in you. So you and I, if we're going to endure the difficult times, we've got to make sure that we're living for the right thing, that our focus is on the Lord Jesus and not on all the other stuff around us. I'll tell you a secret. If you live for anything else in this world, you will absolutely lose it. It will be gone one day. And it will probably be gone a lot sooner than you ever expect. It will be gone. The only things you get to keep are your own soul and the souls of other people that you've invested in and all of those that you've gone 
with you. So live for something that's worthwhile. And when that stuff comes, keep your focus there. It's something even like your eyesight. If you keep your focus here, it puts everything else in perspective. You ever, you know, play the game like with your eyes, you kind of blur things, you know? And your eyes, when they can't focus in or they're not focusing on the same thing, it just, it, it, it messes with everything. But when you keep your eyes pinpointed on Jesus, everything else is where it should be. When you and I get our eyes off of that and focusing on all the hardship or whatever's going on in our world and how we can't, then we've missed our whole hope. Well, Sean, how do you do that? There's a lot that we could do, and I won't take, we don't have the time today to talk about it. But what I personally do when those hardships ha- hit, I go to God's Word and help me. Check, just listen to this. This won't be on the screen. Psalm 123, he writes, To you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of the mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till He has mercy upon us. When the hardship comes, God, I'm looking to you, and I'm going to keep my eyes on you till you have mercy on me. Turn to God's Word and pray and ask God to work in our life. Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountain surrounds Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth forever and forevermore. When when those things hit, and when I'm struggling in those seasons and whatever's going on, and sometimes it's a mess, sometimes, honestly, guys, it's the only sin in my heart that I'm wrestling with, I go to God regularly in that season, and God, help me. I know that I'm a mess. God, I'm struggling. I'm tempted to give up. I'm tempted to get angry. I am bitter, and I'm all of those things. But God, would you help me put my eyes on you? And you, you work through that and ask the God of heaven to help you. It's between you and Him. Fourth thing, and then I'm done. Get strength in your faith. Find some support in your faith when you're in those difficulties. Paul says, we wanted to send Timothy to you. That, that we wanted him to establish you. Look at verse 2 of chapter 3. It says, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. That word establish has the idea of buttressing, of stabilizing and coming alongside with an incredible support. When you and I are going through those hard times, Paul says, I know you're in hard times and you need some outside support. And I want to send Timothy, a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that's the support we need. We, need the, we don't need the friends that are going to say, oh, why don't you give up or why don't you do that? A lot of the friends that we have give us bad advice, just to be really honest with you guys. If you have a friend that only tells you whatever you want to hear, they're, in my opinion, not really the best friend for you. Yes, sometimes they do need to tell you what you need to hear, but they also need to be willing sometimes to tell you what you really don't want to hear, but do it in a way that they love you and trust you. And Paul said, we sent Timothy to to bolster you and to strengthen you and to, to provide that support. When you are in those hard times, this is, again, going back to the very beginning, that the enemy wants to isolate us because... God designed us to grow in our faith together in a family. You really cannot be a strong Christian 
If you're not in that community, living and growing and generally working through stuff in your life and helping others grow and in that, in, in that world. And so when those difficulties hit, we're separated and we don't have anyone to strengthen us, to support us, to pray with us, to bear some of that load with us, to help us to see what we don't see, to help us with perspective, to not, not be jerks to us, but to say, hey, I notice you've been talking a lot and complaining for the last half hour, and I haven't heard the name of God mentioned anywhere. Where is God in all of this? Yeah, I must admit when I'm struggling and I'm in despair and all of that, my first reaction is, oh, I'm just so glad you brought that up. If I want to be really honest, I'm like, mm, <laughs> you're, you're right. <laughs> right? But I know they're right and I appreciate it, and I'm grateful for it. So you need to find the person or two or the three or your small group, or your Bible study or your whomever in your world. If you're single and you don't have somebody in your own home that can provide that, then, uh, then find two or three friends that can, can be that. And church is meant to be a fertile ground for those kinds of relationships. You're going to have those kinds of relationships outside of a, a church family, and that's good and appropriate. But if you can't find them anywhere else, then at least hopefully you can find them here. Well, Sean, it's tough for me to make friends in church, and I struggle with that. Yeah, it does. It, it, it's the nature of friendships. You don't just go up and introduce yourself and, hey, let's be friends. It takes time, and it takes you opening up and putting some effort to get to know people and getting to know you and putting yourself in those situations, it's important because the day is coming when you will need that in the middle of the difficult time. You will need it. So find the support and the strength from people who will share the truth with you, that will love you, that will understand and help you, not coddle you and not just say, oh yeah, you're doing everything right, but who who really their first focus is the gospel of Jesus, that God re has redeemed us and loved us and saved us and wants us to grow in that and wants us to walk through some difficult times. Doesn't want us to throw in the towel, but wants us to walk through those things. So how has this hit you this morning? What do you need to be thinking about? Some of you guys need to be thinking about finding that friend or two. It may start with you simply saying, God, I don't really have those people around right now. Would you help me find those? And then it's you starting to take that next step to invest in those individuals. I've learned along the way, the best way to find friends is to be a friend. Give of yourself and begin caring about and loving people rather than sitting back, okay, I'm waiting. All right, anybody out there going to be my friend and going to come take care of me and help me? You know, no, 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 I guess, okay, I guess not. But instead, giving yourself. Some of you may have somebody who's struggling. You know what? I need to go support them. You know how the enemy does sometimes? Well, I don't know if they really want me to support them. I don't know what I would say. I don't know. I just don't know. Don't give in to that. Because they're probably sitting there saying, I wish somebody would help me. <laughs> Instead, trust God and be that support and say, man, I have no idea, but can I just pray for you? And if there's something I can do for you, let me know. But put yourself there. Encourage that.
Sometimes, some of you may this morning be thinking that, you know what, I am in the middle of that difficult time and I have been thinking God's like given up on me. Sometimes the enemy whispers that temptation in your ear. If that's where you've been in your heart, you need to simply say, God, forgive me because I know that's not true. God, I've been struggling to feel that, but in my head, I know that's true, that you do love me. Forgive me. Would you help me to see how you're taking care of me in this? And would you take that next step and keep moving forward as God works in your heart and life? For others of you, maybe you need to really sincerely trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to, you've heard the Gospels, me talk about it, and probably in private conversations, but you just need to simply take that real step to say, God, I get it. I really want Jesus to be my Lord. I wish you would do that this morning and simply just praying to Him as our, our music team is going to come up now. And you don't even need to sing if that's where you are. Just say, God, I, I want you to be my Savior, my Lord. Would you forgive me? If that's something that, that you haven't done, I urge you to do that today between you and God. If you're still not sure what to do about it, I'd be glad to talk with you. Somebody else would, but talk with somebody. But whatever God has been speaking to your heart this morning, I want you to respond to Him today. Would you pray with me? Father, I am grateful for your love that Jesus takes care of us. And Lord, as we go through difficult times, sometimes we make those difficult times ourselves. But Father, so often we just find ourselves in circumstances. You mean you allow those things to grow us, to strengthen us, to teach us, and sometimes to show us where we're just wrong and in sin and you're peeling that junk away from us. But God... You will always take care of us, no matter what. Help us to trust you. Help us as a church to truly know you. Whatever needs to happen in the heart, each of our hearts this morning, Father, I, I lift this time to you. Pray that you would work. Father, help us keep all distractions in our own minds and around us at a minimum. And Lord, may we respond to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.